0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Baudrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and join our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. And in this episode, we are continuing our conversation with Darren Smith principle of solid growth properties about industrial investing. And in this part, he is going to be talking about what does he look for in a property that he is looking at buying, what are some of the strategies to make deals a win-win, not only for him, but also for the seller, and also what has been his best and worst industrial investments. Here we go. So what do you look for in a property that you decide to buy?
1: That's a great question. And it really, it's such a, a wide, wide spectrum of things that would work for me. And I say that because my whole objective is to get a quality property with a quality tenant for a long-term hold. I I do flip properties. I have novated properties. I just, you know, explained to you one that uh, potentially I could novate, but my whole goal is to hold these things. So, I'm looking for a property that is in an area that I can, I know that if I, if it goes vacant, that I can get this thing re rented without a ton of trouble. And that may just be like, what are, what are my rates on the property? So I need to know how much is the lease on this property? Let's say I'm buying one that already has a tenant in there. And let's say it's $8 a square foot plus triple nets. Well, if the market rate in that area is $7 a square foot plus triple nets, I'm a little bit nervous because if that tenant doesn't renew in a couple of years, I'm technically paying for a property. If I paid full price for it, I'm paying above market rates because the market doesn't bear that, but if I'm getting $8 plus triple nets, but the market in that area could like $10, I'm really comfortable with that. So it's not always just what's the cap rate on the property. The cap rate is the first thing you look at, cause that's kind of, your going in, how much am I getting a return on my money? But you want to look at what are some things that are going to happen to this property in the future? If this tenant leaves, or or possibly, what are some things I can do to this property to increase the things that I can do on it? Maybe there's an extra lot if there's only a twenty thousand square foot building on it. Well, maybe there's an extra couple acres on the back that I can put another twenty thousand square foot building on. So having the ability to increase your rents, if need be, for the market, or increase the the property itself to improve it, you know that those are really the, the two things I look for. And then I'll really do anything after that. I like self-storage. I like small bay industrial. I like manufacturing, um, just regular warehouse. Uh, Really any of those can be great as long as I can get a a decent tenant in there. I will tell your listeners a little bit about how this compares with the multifamily world and then how Hmm. it differs. So a lot of people love the multifamily because you have one building maybe, but there could be Ten units in there. There could be a hundred units in there, and it spreads your risks out. Your risk out among smaller tenants, so that if ten percent leave, you're still collecting rent. Well, I own properties that, I mean, they have a a multiple five figure uh, mortgage payment due every month with one tenant, and so if that tenant <laughs> moves out, you know, you have to be able to, to uh, ride that out and be able to you know pay your mortgage and pay your expenses until you get you know, get somebody new in there. So one way that some people will segue into the industrial space is they'll either do it with self-storage, which self-storage is kind of industrial. If you're talking, you know, small, like to to individuals, a couple hundred square feet, but small bay industrial is kind of an easier that next step, because these are units that are maybe 1,000 to up to 5,000, but, you know, usually, usually two to 3,000 square feet. They might have a small office, they'll have a drive-in door, and you can have multiple of these in one facility. And so again, it serves that purpose of, of spreading out your risk. You know, if you have 10 tenants in there, if one or two go vacant, you're still able to make your payments for a longer period of time. So that, that may be somebody who's looking to dip their toe into industrial, but you know, scared of having something, you know, a little bit too much to swallow, um, or they could just start out with a smaller property. There's some great five to 10,000 square foot properties out there in high demand right now. Um, very hard to find that size. And you know now your mortgage payment may be a couple of thousand dollars a month. So if it goes vacant, you know that's not hurting you near as much.
0: And when you have a property with a single tenant in it, how do you prepare for that? How do you have a backup plan? Is it two years of mortgage payments? How do you approach it?
1: That's an excellent question. And for, for anybody, really, if you're buying anything, having that plan B, having that backup is, is essential. So the first thing I look at was what I touched on that a little bit earlier of where am I at and compared to market rates. And so I, I like to know what, is, what am I renting it for you know, as a total or per square foot, however you want to calculate it. And then what do I need to rent this for to break even? And so if mm-hmm. I get in a situation where, you know, this thing goes vacant, well, I do. I have, I have, you know, uh, what I feel is sufficient, you know, capital reserves and, and liquidity and other properties, uh, you know, in accounts that I can, I can weather out, you know, a storm. I think if you have, depending on the area, it could be up to a year. Um, I, own, I own a large office building as well. Some of those can take even longer. So you really do need to have, yeah. you know, significant reserves to make that happen, but also, if you start getting to the point where, Hey, this things are getting rough, things are, uh, you know, I think I, I need to get this done. If you can cut your rents by, you know, 20%, 30%, four, you know, or more and still break even maybe it's for a short time, but at least it saves you from losing the property or, or, or having to, to do something else kind of drastic. So those are the two things I try and do have a sufficient capital reserve, but also have my rents that are, that I can you know, know where I can cut them and be enough above that when I'm buying the property that I have that ability to, to flex if need be.
0: Yeah, and sometimes those things are hard to find, you know, because you do need to buy a property that is a little bit cheaper than others because you have to have that ability to cut rent by 20%. You just really have to do your homework, but it's definitely something that is so, 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 so important. If something does happen to the economy, because that's how people lose their properties, right? Especially these multifamily people, <laughs> they have zero, zero ability to cut rent from the deals that I've seen people talk about.
1: Yeah, I'll you know, I'll just add three cap selling <laughs> 1980s properties at three caps, and they make money. They've done really well the last couple of years. So I'm not. I don't mean to knock it because these people have been right. Very successful. If, if they got in in the last five years, you can't help but make money.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do
1: wonder what will happen, you know, in, in a couple of years when things turn. I guess I'll add one more thing. I have been wrong for at least the last five years. I probably was a 2016, 17. We're getting close to the peak. And I didn't, I'm not saying I predicted yeah. a crash, but I thought things would cap off at that point. I've been in this since 2003, 2004. I can say I, absolutely saw the last crash coming, I can say I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen going forward here.
0: Uh, Yeah, you're not alone there. (laughs) You did mention, you know, working with the seller directly and making something that works for you and for them as well. Are there other strategies that you use to make some of these deals a win-win?
1: There are so many creative ways of putting deals together. You have to go into the conversation with that open mind, with letting the seller know you're there to figure out the best solution for them. I'll I'll tell you kind of a funny thing that happened to me in the last couple of weeks was my assistant, she actually mailed out several months worth of marketing for me on the same day. And so I have had more seller conversations in the past couple of weeks than I think I've had, you know, the rest of the year combined. And but what that's given me is this I've gotten, it's, it's helped me with my skills for one of talking with sellers. I've been doing it for years, but you can always improve. And two, I find, you know, the things I keep saying over and over to different sellers. And one of the things I keep saying is, Hey, you know what? I, I may not be the best fit to buy your property. You know, to be honest, I, I buy a lot of properties, but like, um, I definitely don't buy every one. And so if you could just let me ask you a couple of questions
0: uh, mm-hmm. to see
1: about the property you know, to see that situation and then about your situation, what you're trying to accomplish, what you know, what are you hoping to get out of the sale? What are you looking to do after that? Those types of things. If we can get through that, we're going to figure out together what is your best option. And if it's not me, I absolutely will tell you that. And I have told many sellers over the past couple of weeks, look, it sounds like you should just do and fill in the blank and, uh, you know, list with a broker or keep it or rent it out or or whatever the thing is, because I'm not the one that's going to help them get to their goal. The things that we can put together to help them like, one of them is tax strategies so again i i said i do not have a crystal ball right now it's very murky uh, with what's happening with taxes you know coming up here but capital gains is obviously a, a huge factor for this so if somebody's selling a building that costs a couple million dollars and maybe they've owned it for 20 years and this thing's depreciated down to, to almost nothing well if they sell that building at all at once you know all cash and they don't have anything else to do with that money, that's going to be a, a tax deferred strategy. They have to pay capital gains on, on that entire amount. I do have some people that are looking to get deals done this year so that they don't you know, get hit with that, with what may come uh, you know, next year. But I'm also hearing rumors now that they could even back retroactively implement some of these taxes. So that may not be mm. the best strategy if somebody's thinking about that at, at the moment, again, no crystal ball. So I'm not trying to say that, but one of the ways I've actually helped people with deferring their taxes is twofold one. I can give them more money if they leave some of that money in, in the building i've actually had one seller i, I didn't buy this deal uh, someone else snagged it before i could but the conversation we had was he says i don't want any money down he wanted 100 seller financing because he says mm-hmm. i don't want to pay any capital gains i only want to get interest on this and i'm going to pay on the interest and i want to collect that for the rest of my life he's like that's how i want to live that was his strategy not mine i thought that was that was that was pretty uh pretty brazen of him but i I have helped other sellers by leaving some of their money in the property. So they say, I want to go buy a house on the beach. I need $500,000. Perfect. Get you 500,000 at closing. You leave the rest in you only pay capital gains on that 500,000 and you defer the rest over time. They are paying taxes. They are, they do pay capital gains as they receive the money in the future, but because they're now earning interest on their money, they can, you know, pay some of that tax with the interest that they're earning by the money left in the building. And honestly, depending on the deals you know they can make some some pretty decent interest on their money and it's secured against an asset that they know i mean what do you know better than a building that you've already owned maybe your business was in it you know the area you know they just spent the past several weeks talking to me up about how great this building was and how great the area and it's going to be worth 10 million dollars in 5 years well perfect then if they leave their money and they know how secure that is i give them comfort by showing them my track record showing them you know having them talk mm-hmm. with other sellers that i've worked with i have sellers that for years have been getting automatic payments in their account every single month. They don't even think about it. And and so when you can show them that I've done this before, and if you haven't done industrial before, you know, if there's somebody out there that says, oh man, I've, I've only owned some rental houses or maybe that. Well, perfect. If somebody's looking for that kind of credibility, you can just talk about that track record. Hey, I've borrowed these houses and I've never missed a payment. And, you know, they can talk to sellers that they worked with in the past. So however you want to build credibility, you can do that. The other way that you can help a seller is If they don't want to leave money in a property, I've actually partnered with people that I've bought properties from. So they wanted to sell this property because they didn't want that anymore. I wanted to buy their property. I'm also buying another property over here, property B. And so what we ended up doing was we made them a limited partner on the other property that I was buying. So I bought this one over here. They took that money and they did a 1031 exchange and they transferred it into (laughs) property B because they like that asset better. And so now they're limited partners. Their only liability is up to the money they have invested in, but they're an equity partner on that one. They're receiving interest. They're receiving payments. They didn't pay a single penny in taxes because they they moved all the money over here and it was a real win-win for them. So that's just two examples, but there's there's so many ways that you can help people, but you can't do it unless you're sitting down and, and you truly like, learn and listen about their situation. What are they trying to accomplish? And go in with that mentality that you're not there to buy their property. You're there to help them figure out their best option. And a lot of times you can be that option if, you, if you're if you creative and if you have the resources. But if you're not, do not try and push it. Don't try and sell it because all you're doing is turning that person off. Yeah. You're hurting your own credibility. And I I have I've been in conversations with people for years. I am still talking with them we still touch base every couple of months because I was honest with them, because I was upfront and they still say Hey, thanks, Darren. Thanks for checking in. Hey, you know what? We're still got this thing going on. We're not ready yet. It hey, can you give me a call in six months. No problem. Sometimes yeah. they're 30 second conversations. Sometimes they're an hour conversation. I learned about their grandkids and their last surgery and whatever <laughs> else is going on, we'll go grab coffee. I'm happy to do either one of those, you know, however I can help them best is, is what I'm looking to accomplish because I'll either end up buying their property, or if I don't, I know I got them to a better spot and I know they're they're in the best place they can be. And that is what builds my credibility. That's what allows me to walk into a seller and build that trust, because I know in the end, that's, that's what's in my head. And when you go in with that in your head, the sellers can feel that, like they know that. And so oh, yeah. just be that person for them and it'll pay off for you in the end.
0: You have clearly been doing this for a while. <laughs> So everybody just memorize what Darren has been saying for the last few (laughs) minutes and you're going to get a deal. (laughs) So let's move on to what has been the best and the worst industrial investment so far and why.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, on the good side, I fortunately have several I could pick from. On the worst side... I really don't have any that I've, uh, that I've lost money on. So uh, I'm going to go to on my worst side. I'll, I'll start with that one back to a flip, uh, that I tried. I'm actually still involved with this. We're at, we're at a liquidation stage right now. Uh, I'm not sure how much I'm going to lose on this, but it's probably going to be a six figure number. But I talk about that, not because about the, the fact it was lost, but a fact about the fact that I didn't do any homework on this one. It was mm. one of one, it was a flip. That uh, I bought sight unseen. It was it's across the country. Never been there. Uh, never been mm-hmm. to that town. I was doing it as a favor for a friend because he kind of got mm-hmm. involved with it, and uh, I sent my one of my employees went over looked at. It, he said, "Oh yeah, we can do this. We got this. We can make it happen." And I'm not blaming him by any stretch because it's it's still completely on me the fact sure. that I did it. So I tell you that worst scenario because when you're getting into one of these things, I would recommend, especially for industrial, like walk every deal like if you're out there like learn about it even if the the person asks twice what you think the thing's worth first off you probably don't know what it's worth because the prices are all over the place and even my brokers don't know half the time (laughs) not a cut on brokers but it's hard that's what i'm saying It's, it's it's challenging so get out there every time i meet with a seller every time i walk a building they tell me things that i didn't know things to look for oh that's that type of roofing you know improvement or hey we got this type of power split up or this air or or the concrete's this thick which means we can do this if you go in with that, that learning mind, uh, learn as much as you possibly can, it'll prevent you from doing what I am right in the middle of right now, losing my shirt on a property because I didn't go check it out. I didn't, you know, do my homework. I didn't research the town. You know, I didn't research, uh, you know, this house, which has turned into a, an unmitigated disaster On to my best deal. These are, these are much more fun stories. I'm, I'm split between two, but I'm gonna tell you one, because this was one where I was really able to help a seller out. And I love those, uh, those scenarios the best. This was one where the guy had been trying to sell this property for a couple of years, actually. He was, uh, getting close to the, the, the end of a lease with the army Corps of engineers. So it was a government tenant that was in the building. It was one, it's kind of in an area that's a bit more remote. And so he'd been trying to sell this, trying to sell this and, you know, couldn't do it, it Was listening you know, with a broker. And I went and I sat down and talked to him. I said, you know, what, what exactly is it that you need? Like, what do, what are you trying to accomplish? And he said, this is the number I absolutely have to have. And I have to have that because of, of, of these things. And I said, okay, great. We can do that. How much of that do you need in cash at closing? And he told me the number and it was, it was less than 70% of, of what the sale price was. And this was a couple of years ago. So you actually wouldn't be able to get this deal done anymore, but I was just getting into industrial at the time. So uh, for me, getting the terms was more important than the price at that point you know, it's not so much anymore, but, but that was where the less money I could put in by far was, was what mattered. And we were able to work out a deal where I went and got a 70% bank loan on that property took, by the way, took about going to probably 15 different banks, but he held a 30% second on that property. So I literally bought a $1.65 million warehouse for $0 down, cost me about $60,000 in closing costs. That was 100% of my cost in to closing that property. It solved his problem because now he, you know, he got sold. He got his money. He's getting, you know, payments, you know, overtime for that other 30%. But what made me confident that I would be able to do that? Because as I said, it was coming up, you know, towards the end of his lease. Well, the lease he had right. on that property, it was a, <laughs> it's terrible how the Army Corps does it. They're only allowed to do one-year leases. So the way they write their leases is this was, it, it was a 10-year lease, but it was one-year lease with nine one-year options. Wow. Every one of them giving the Army Corps of Engineers the right to cancel at any time with no rent increases, you know, through the entire uh, period. And they had, I think it was just under three years left uh, at the time when I bought or four years left through, through for when I, when I bought the building at the time. So that's what gave me the confidence to go in and buy that building. Because even though there was like only a couple of years left on the lease, I was getting no money in. It wasn't cash flowing a ton. I think it cash flows about maybe $1,500 to $2,000 a month which is not that much for a $1.65 million property. I knew he was so much below market rates because the lease was, was written, you know, seven years prior. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what happens when that lease goes to renew, I'm comfortable because I'm enough below market rates that I can get this thing done and 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 released, you know, with no problem, uh, very, very likely raising the rates. But even if I have to cut down to my cost, you know, my gosh, I'm probably, that'll probably be you know, sixty percent of what it's running for right now uh, is where I'd have to be at. So, uh, compared to what market rates would be, so I'm very comfortable doing that deal. So that's probably my favorite one because it was it was kind of one of my earlier ones uh, that got me really excited, and it was a, it was a big win that didn't cost me a whole lot of money to get in, um, and and uh, also helped the seller out in a big way.
0: Wow, what a beautiful story! I love it, love it. This has been so incredible, Darren. So many amazing nuggets and and great pieces of advice is there anything else that you think our listeners should know that we haven't covered with regards to industrial
1: <laughs> oh pro- probably about a million things um, <laughs> i'm still learning very much a student of this and learning you know have a lot left to learn but i think if they start with those things those basic premises and just get out there and, and start talking with people start networking with bro- network with brokers go talk with sellers, go knock on doors. And if you do that, if you just get out there and take some action and start having conversations, you'll find out if it's right for you or not. And if it is, uh, that'll put you well on your way.
0: Amazing. How can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: I would love for anybody to reach out to me, whether they are looking to learn about buying industrial properties, learn about the marketing side of it. They're maybe interested in partnering with me. I, I, I love helping people uh, get the most return on their money, you know, whether it be through their retirement accounts or or, or whatever it is. Um, my email is darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at solidgrowthproperties.com.
0: And as always, this will be under show notes. Darren, thank you so much for making the time and providing our listeners with so many great insights. I'm sure this will be yet another very, very successful episode.
1: Well, Steph, thank you so much for having me on. And I I hope I was able to help somebody out there.
0: If you are learning from this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review under the podcast app you listen to. On the Apple podcast, you just go to the podcast page, either from Listen Now or from Library. You scroll all the way down to Ratings and Reviews and you can write a review over there and I would greatly appreciate it. And I will see you next time.